The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome to episode 188 of The Boys of Tech, New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. My name is Edwin Herman, hosting the show this week. Let's take a look ahead at some of the stories that we're going to talk about. Apple ignores warnings about the iOS maps. The company that makes Ubuntu asks users to pay what they think it's worth. And the PC market is to shrink for the first time in a decade. First of all, though, we're going to kick off with a rather, this is almost something that could be science fiction, but in actual fact, this is real scientific research. A team of researchers at the University of Bonn are trying to determine whether the universe is one giant computer simulation. And you and me and everyone else are simply stuck inside the simulation, kind of like if we were stuck inside a computer. And I know it sounds difficult to to comprehend, but the notion is based on quantum chromodynamics, which is the idea that describes how the strong nuclear force binds quarks and gluons together into protons and neutrons, and of course they bind everything else together. So they've come up with a way to measure the universe in such a way that we can hopefully find out whether we're living in the giant simulation. And it's based on the GZK value. Now in the world of theoretical physics, things can be pretty much limitless. But in a computer simulation, there need to be limits, right? There, Nothing can go forever. And this is one of the problems with these kind of simulations, that the laws of physics have to be placed in a constrained 3D space, a lattice, if you like, that is limited by the nature of the computer simulation. So we can measure cosmic ray particles, for example, to see whether they behave in the, in the way that theoretical physics says they should. Now, if they do, I guess we're not living in a simulation. But if they don't, we might even be able to see the construction of the simulation lattice, and indeed that suggests that that we are indeed in a simulation. So, you know, it's funny because this is kind of almost like the crossover here between science and philosophy. You know, one of the questions in philosophy is, is anything real? You know, is the whole universe in our imaginations? And I guess this isn't quite asking that same question, but it's certainly asking the question, is this real or are we in a simulation of some sort? So anyway... I really don't know what to make of this, but I'm just going to wait and see what comes out of the research. If it turns out we are in a simulation, does it make life less interesting? Or can we just conveniently forget the notion that we're in a simulation and enjoy life as we have been? What would you want the answer to be? Do you want to be in a simulation or do you want life to be, the universe to be real? Whatever real means. Now, hang on, this is going into philosophy. So before I go any further, let's, because uh, this is not a philosophical product, uh, podcast, this is a, a tech podcast. So I'll leave you with that thought that perhaps we may well be in a simulation. And until we see the outcome of the research from this uh, research team, uh, we, we can't really conclude it either way. Now, at Apple, it turns out the engineers working on the maps warned the company about the bugs 
in the maps. And they were ignored, which I, I think sort of closes the loop a little bit, which kind of explains how this whole map situation came about. Now, CNET actually interviewed some Apple employees who, of course, only agreed to do this if they remained anonymous. And they said that it was clear to anybody that even in the iOS betas, that maps looked pretty bad. If someone, and I quote, if someone had shown that to Steve, he would have said, this looks like, and there's a word here that I can't actually repeat because our podcast uh, doesn't have the explicit tag, <laughs> but it starts with S and ends in T. He would have actually said that, and Tim did the right thing by apologizing, but the better thing would have been like, we can't ship this. Uh, and unfortunately, as we know, they they did ship. And of course, we have all these bugs in maps. So there you go. That is the answer. The engineers were ignored. Never ignore your engineers. Rule number one. I thought Apple would have known this by now. Now, the company that makes Ubuntu, Canonical, is now making it easier to donate. It's a private company. It's not a... It, it, their product is open source, right? Ubuntu is open source, but the company that makes it is indeed a, a private company and it's a company, so it's designed to make money and now it's making it easier to donate. So when you go to download Ubuntu, you ask to pay what you think it's worth and there are a bunch of categories listed against which uh, you can assign a dollar value. And the default value is $2 for each of these. There are eight categories, so you, you know your total default donation would be 16 but of course you can change those to to whatever you like and in fact it's not compulsory either you can bypass the whole thing and say no thanks i don't want to donate i just want to download it so i'll read you some uh, in fact i'll read you all of the categories uh category number this is a no particular order this is just a list on the web page that you get make the desktop more amazing that's uh, one of them the second one is performance optimization for games and apps the third one is improve hardware support on more PCs. The fourth one, phone and tablet versions of Ubuntu. Number five out of eight is community participation in Ubuntu development. Number six, better coordination with Debian and Upstreams. Number seven, better support for other flavors of Ubuntu. And number eight is just a, a, a catch-all bucket, really, a tip to Canonical. They help make it happen. And all, like I say, all of these start off at $2. You can see the total there at 16 underneath. But you can set any of that. You can donate however much you want, up well, up to a maximum of $1,000. And you can apportion the, the donation to the various categories as you see fit. Which I think is kind of neat because you feel a little bit more involved, right? right? Rather than throwing money into this, into this bucket that you, you have no idea how it's going to be used. Although to be fair, you don't really know that they're going to stick to, uh, you know, stick to the uh, the proportions that you've chosen, right? I mean, you know, if you want to give a whole heap to uh, the category called "Make the Desktop More Amazing" and not so much to phone and tablet versions of Ubuntu, how do you know that that's where the money's going to go? I don't really know. I don't know that I would trust any company if you like to do that. But at least you feel a little bit more involved. And I, I tell you what, if anything, it actually gives Canonical a clear indication as to what people value. And if they, I mean, if they've got any sense, excuse the pun, if, if they've got any sense, they, they would really concentrate on what people are wanting, right? Then therefore where people are choosing to put their money because, uh, you know, that, that's what companies do. They deliver products that people want. So 
that's kind of new. So when you go to download, you do get presented with this. But as I say, it's optional. You don't have to, you can skip that step and say, well, look, I don't want to donate anything at all. I just want to download it. And away you go. Now, the PC market is to shrink for the first time in a decade. It's revealed that, uh, surprise, surprise, I think Apple was correct. We're living in the post-PC era. And it's basically tablets that are taking that market share. It's really not a great surprise, I guess. But it is worth noting that this is, in fact, now a turning point. Now, look at these figures, for example. In July 2011, 11% of American adults had a tablet. By January 2012, so we're talking six months later, that figure rose from 11 to 18%. And in August 2012, eight months later, or rather seven months later, the number had risen further to 25%. So this is huge growth in the tablet market we're seeing. And it's taking away some of the share of laptops and desktops. What you can conclude from this is people aren't necessarily adding to their to their collection. Well, I mean, I'm sure some are, but certainly some are choosing not to renew their, their laptops or desktops in favour of a tablet. And you know what? That's pretty much all the stories I had prepared. That's pretty much it this week. Not a lot to report. Although I am happy that Apple have come out and, well, it's not, sorry, not really Apple, but, you know, CNET who interviewed some uh, some of the developers from Apple. I'm glad that story has come out because it explains exactly how it came about that Apple released such a defective product, which is very un-Apple. Right, well, that's it. I do have, though, one New Zealand story to talk about right after this. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Now, the Radio Network, which pretty much has almost 50% of the New Zealand commercial radio market, is launching an online digital radio platform that's accessible through the web, on pretty much any device. We're talking smartphones, iPads, Xboxes, as well as your traditional computers. It's called iHeartRadio, and it's been operated in the US by Cloud Channel for, for a number of years, I think uh, three or four years already. And now they're ready to launch in New Zealand and Australia early next year. So iHeartRadio not only streams existing radio stations, like you know the, the commercial stations that the company owns but it also allows you to create your own radio station so for example you can pick an artist or a, a range of artists and iHeartRadio will create and there's a number of services that do this already as well but uh, it'll create a custom radio station commercial free that plays those artists and anything else similar now I must admit when I first scanned through the story and I read the, the pretty much the first line I I thought, well, a, a digital radio platform, that's going to be cool because we really don't have digital radio in New Zealand. I know that in the UK they've got it. Of course, I'm talking about you know digital broadcast as opposed to online. And that's what I thought the story was going to be about. But this is you know about the online version, if you like. But it's more than just the online version of the radio stations. As I said, it's, it's about, uh, about you being able to create your own custom station. So that sounds pretty cool. It's all going to be uh, above board, of course. This is all going to be done through APRA for the uh, licensing agreement and, and stuff like that. So this will be good. 
So look out for it in the next four or five months. That'll be cool. And that is episode 188 of New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.